As we begin the sermon time today, I just want to take a moment to say welcome and hello to those who join us through our toll-free number. We recognize that not everybody has access to internet or at least easy access to watch the whole service. So we do have a toll-free number and people can call that line and tune in and listen to the sermon each week. So if you know someone who would like to take advantage of that, uh, send them our number and let them call in and at least they'll hear the sermon each and every week. So welcome to those who are joining at this time through our toll-free number. I want to say hi to my mom and everybody else who's joining in for the sermon portion. Well, our sermon series right now at the beginning of this year is going through the Bible, kind of binge reading the Bible, looking at the major sections of the Bible and giving some pointers on how best to read those sections so we can get the most out of our Bible reading. At the same time, there are many, many of you, an overwhelming number actually, who have signed up for our 90-day Bible reading challenge, either the full text or the essential passages. I want to encourage you, keep reading. And uh, if you've let a few days slip by, don't worry about it. Just pick up where you left off. The real point of all this is to keep reading our Bibles together. And if you have questions that come up, feel free to send them in to me, and I'll try and tackle them as we go through this time. Well, we've already looked at the first main section of the Bible, the first five books. Sometimes we call that the Pentateuch. Uh, we also call that the Torah, the law. And we've had a look at the law of Moses and how foundational those books are to our understanding of the entire Bible. We've also had a chance to look at the historical books of the Bible. And bear in mind, these aren't your grade 10 history books. These aren't dry histories. These are theological stories. These are the stories of God that come to us through the activities in the human context. And so it's really exciting to read through the historical books. Well, today we get to have a look at the wisdom books of the Bible. These are the books of Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Songs, a very exciting grouping of books that we find in the Bible. Now, we understand, and we talked about this last week, that narrative, that storytelling aspect in the Bible, accounts for about 43% of all of the words we find in the Bible. We also understand that prose discourse, that idea of giving a lecture or simply a logical uh, discourse, that accounts for about 24% of what we find in the Bible. But there's another section, poetry. And poetry accounts for about 33% of the material in our Bibles. And a lot of that is loaded into this wisdom section of the Bible. You think of the Psalms, and you think of Song of Songs, all those kind of things uh, are loaded with poetry. And a third of the Bible is filled with poetry. Now, I don't know about your relationship to poetry, but I don't have a very good one. I have to force myself to read poems, and partly because I'm just impatient. Uh, sometimes I just want to say to the author, could you please just get to the point? <laughs> Tell me what I need to know. Maybe you feel like that about sermons sometimes. Tell me what I need to know. Don't use a lot of flowery language or dance around the topic. I don't want to think too hard about this. I just need to know the truth. And so sometimes we have a bit of frustration with some forms of poetry. The other problem with poetry is that it's kind of open to interpretation at times. 
And so if you have five people that read one poem, you could end up with 10 different interpretations. And so poetry is an interesting format for conveying God's truth in the Bible. Why? Why would God use so much poetry to convey his truth to us? Well, here's a few reasons that I thought of. Uh, first of all, poetry really does force us to slow down and reflect and meditate on the words. That's what's going to make it so difficult to binge read through the section of wisdom material because it really calls us to stop, to pay attention, to reflect, and to meditate. And so I hope you do come back to these sections and spend a little bit more time in them. And that's intentional. Uh, God wants us to meditate on his word. Uh, the old Puritans called meditation chewing the cud. You picture a, a cow in the field just chewing slowly over and over. That's what we're meant to do with scripture. Poetry forces us, or at least calls us, into that format. Well, another reason why I think poetry is so important in scripture is that it activates our imagination. It, it really activates our whole senses. So we begin to not only hear the words, but we begin to see the words. We begin to maybe even taste the words and feel the words. All of these um, aspects of imagination come into play in poetry. Eugene Peterson, who uh, uh, translated the, uh, the version of the Bible called The Message, he also wrote a very short commentary on the book of Revelation that I love. And his book is called Reversed Thunder, uh, John's Revelation and the Praying Imagination. I love that phrase, the praying imagination, because I, I think we don't activate our imaginations enough when we're heading through scripture. Poetry forces us to do that. Well, a third thing that poetry does is that it engages our memory and so much of what we see, especially like Psalm 119 and going through many of the Proverbs, they are put in a poetic fashion, a Hebrew poetic fashion, in order to assist in our memory. Now, pause for a moment. Do you see what I just did? <laughs> I took something like poetry, which is meant to be this emotional and beautiful art form, and I somehow made it logical because that's how my brain kind of works. I want to see what is the benefit of poetry, and so I have three logical points. But I want to convey to you that poetry and art form is much more than that. There is an intangible that takes place when we kind of give ourselves to this art form of poetry and scripture. There's a power here that the Holy Spirit can really use, and I want to illustrate that power by giving uh, two accounts of the same story found in Exodus. The first account is just plain narrative. It's just telling us the story as it is. The second account is also found in the Bible, and it's the account of the Red Sea crossing, but put in poetic terms. Both these can be found in Exodus chapter 14 and 15. You can read them for the, yourself. It's the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. Listen to how it sounds in simple narrative in Exodus 14 and verse 29. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. There we go. That's how my brain works so often. <laughs> Just tell me the facts. Tell me what it is. And I get it. But the very next chapter, Miriam and, and others burst into song. And so we have a poem 
that recounts the exact same event. Now listen to the poetic version of the crossing of the Red Sea that we find in Exodus chapter 15 and verse eight. It says this, O Lord, by the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Do you see the difference? Do you feel the difference? I never thought of waters being congealed before. Now I, I sense that the crossing of the Red Sea, it was like jello walls on the side. Uh, poetry has a certain power to engage the imagination, to uh, start our memories, but also just a power that's almost intangible. That's a combination of all the imagery and the language that's used. That's why it can be such a powerful force for truth in the hands of the Holy Spirit as we come through uh, this time. So the wisdom books are full of this kind of poetry. The wisdom books uh, tell us that in order to access wisdom, we really need to spend time reading the poetic words of scripture. And that's going to be important for us to do. Well, when it comes to talking about wisdom, this is another thing we have to be very clear about. Wisdom isn't just knowledge or information. It's not simply having uh, the right information at the right time to do the right thing. It's very much applied knowledge that has a moral quality to it. That's Hebrew wisdom. But it goes even beyond that. And that's what I want us to get a sense of as we start to talk about wisdom and as we read the wisdom literature in the Bible. The Hebrew word uh, for wisdom is chokmah. Chokmah is is kind of a, a word that talks about the ordering principle of the entire universe. So wisdom goes beyond practical knowledge to be something that's woven into the very fabric of the universe. Now, when you come to the book of Proverbs, as we're going to reflect on today, uh, we see that Proverbs personifies divine wisdom as a woman, as an attractive woman, someone to be sought out and sought after, as a woman with integrity and values, as a woman who actually existed before the world was made. This personification of divine wisdom is the one who reveals God, who acted as God's agent in creation. Do you see how wisdom is beyond just a set of knowledge or a set of facts or information? To kind of highlight that, I want to read to you from Proverbs chapter 8. And uh, we're going to start reading at verse 22. And just keep in mind this personification of wisdom that we find in Proverbs. This is what it says. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. You see this importance of wisdom. It's not just a set of truth or facts or even applied knowledge. 
It's not just morality. It's something that's part of the woven, the very fabric of the universe. So that's what makes wisdom so valuable. That's what makes wisdom so important. So let's have a look at this Proverbs chapter 3. And out of all the passages from the wisdom literature that I could have chosen, I settled on Proverbs for a couple of reasons. Uh, One is, I think it was my dad's favorite passage. Uh, We're actually recording the sermon on a Thursday, and it is the 14th of January, which just happens to be my dad's birthday. And today he would have turned 86 years old. And I remember a number of times my dad gave me uh, maybe a book or sometimes even wrote a card. He didn't use a lot of words, but sometimes he would write down Proverbs chapter 3. My son, listen to my wisdom, listen to these words. And so that's partly what draw me, draws me to this passage. But also because it shows us the happiness of those who find true wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 3, 13, it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom. Well, how are they blessed? Let's go through the passage together really quickly and just see all of the blessings, all of the happiness of those who find wisdom. First of all, it says in in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 that the wise enjoy life. Not just life for now, but life forever. If you find wisdom, you enjoy life. In verses 3 and 4, it says that the wise have a good reputation because the wise have become people of integrity and so they have a good reputation with people around them. That's part of being wise. Here's another blessing of finding wisdom in verses five and six. Uh, The wise have clear direction because they've learned not to simply trust on their own knowledge, but delight and trust in the Lord. And so their path has been made straight. The wise have a clear direction. In verses 7 and 8, the wise experience health because they have learned to turn away from evil, from evil things, from habits that lead them to destruction, and they have learned to turn to health. And so the wise experience health. Verses 9 and 10, it says that the wise are prosperous. They're prosperous because they have learned generosity. And in finding generosity and the wisdom of that, they have experienced prosperity. And then it says in verses 11 and 12, the wise are loved. They know they're loved. How? Because they've learned to receive discipline. And they've learned to receive discipline and correction as a mark that the Father, that God loves them and they know they're loved. So listen to this together. This is the beauty, this is the benefit, the happiness of finding true wisdom. The wise enjoy life, have a good reputation have clear direction, experience health, experience prosperity, and know that they are loved. Do you want to be wise? (laughs) Do you want to have that kind of qualities in your life, no matter what's happening in the circumstances around us? That's the kind of power of finding wisdom, according to these wisdom books and Proverbs especially. So, how do we gain that kind of wisdom? How do we access it? How do we tap into this this thing that's a fabric of the universe that God has woven into our very lives and is making accessible to us? Well, here's a few things. First of all, prize wisdom. Value wisdom. Make it as a prize of something that you absolutely value, something that's that's of a a top shelf priority. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, 
If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. Prize wisdom. That's the first thing that we need to do. We have to see its value. Uh, We have to understand that we're not sufficient unto ourselves, that we don't have enough knowledge to manage everything in our lives, that we don't have the wisdom in our own strength and in our own power. Once we recognize that, then we can begin to prize wisdom. Well, the second thing is pursue wisdom. Make it a priority. Chase after it. Discover it. There's a difference between prizing something and pursuing something. I highly value healthy eating, but the last few months I have not pursued that value. And so we understand even with wisdom, we can say we prize it or value it, but are we pursuing it? Are we chasing it? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7 has this interesting advice for attaining wisdom. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Get it. Get out there and get it. Pursue wisdom is an essential part of what it means to access this power of wisdom. So prize wisdom, pursue wisdom, but then I'm going to lean on the New Testament wisdom book, the book of James, for this third point, and it's this. Pray for wisdom. Ask God. The principle of this is ask and you shall receive. And in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says clearly, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's me, from time to time, absolutely, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. How do you access wisdom? Ask God for it. Ask and you shall receive. Well, speaking of the New Testament, this is where we find our New Testament twist. This is where we connect the dots between the old and the new in a way that might be a little bit unexpected for you. What we find when we come to the New Testament in a number of writings, but especially in Paul, is this. Jesus is the wisdom of God. That's a direct quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So just as in the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew world, that idea of chokmah is, uh, has to do with the ordering principle of the universe, so we find in the Greek mind, in the Greek world, the idea of logos, which we sometimes translate as the word, is that thing that holds the whole universe together. Now John, the Apostle John in his gospel, he picks that up, that idea of this something that's part of the fabric of the universe, holding it all together. The, the Greek version of the Hebrew hokmah. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. My encouragement to you today, this afternoon, is read Proverbs chapter 8 and John chapter 1 and read them together and just see what the Spirit is doing through these different authors, revealing to us the fabric of the universe, which is actually found in Jesus. So no longer personified as in Proverbs, but made flesh. Wisdom made flesh is Jesus who was there at the beginning and through all through him all things were made. 
So when we talk about prizing wisdom and pursuing wisdom and praying for wisdom, we can also translate that in the New Testament as prizing Jesus, having a high value for God's Messiah, for pursuing Jesus, for imitating Christ, and also praying in Jesus' name. That's how we access wisdom. Well, still at the end of this, you might be saying, why is it that from time to time, and maybe often, I just don't experience that kind of wisdom and the benefits that come from it? And why is it when we look around our world today, and especially in our leaders who are supposed to be wise, we don't see wisdom. We don't see wisdom at play within our leaders so very often. Why is that? Well, because there's one key. There's one foundational key to wisdom that I haven't mentioned yet. And that is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do we begin? Fear God. And the less we fear God, the less we regard God, that we respect God, the less we take time to honor God, the less we will experience wisdom in our decision-making, in our lives, and the benefits of wisdom that come from that. And so if we're struggling with that, we need to begin by the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And for our leaders, we need to pray that God would turn their hearts back to him that they would have a sense of the fear of God, this healthy respect for God that's coupled together with love and confidence. That's the fear of the Lord. So as we binge read the Bible together, don't underestimate the wisdom books of the Bible. Don't just gloss over those poetry sections, even if you don't like poetry. Allow them to call to you and the Spirit of God to call to you and say, stop, pay attention for a while, and let me speak my words into your lives. Because in the end, how much better it is to get wisdom than it is to get gold. How much better it is to get insight than it is to get silver. Let's seek God together as the fear of the Lord begins us on our quest to experience wisdom. Amen.